Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. A couple of weeks ago, I missed church, uh, as some of you all know, uh, because I spin it on my front porch. Um, specifically, I uh, locked us all out of my house, and uh, we spent a couple Wednesday nights ago on, on the porch. Um, and the... <laughs> We, we had to, my neighbor took me to go get my spare key from my, the, the landlady who lives in the middle of nowhere. Um, I tell you this because you can tell what generation someone is a part of by the way that they give directions. Now, there is a generation that gives you cardinal directions with distance. So you're going to head west a mile on this road. And then you're going to turn uh, north and you go by a school and then there's a house with a tire, st- tire swing in it about a half mile after that. And then you're going to turn west again. Go about a mile and, it, and if you run into the post office, then turn around because you've gone too far. Now... Um, you see that uh, I, I'm not from that generation. So I'm listening to all of that and uh, knowing, uh, and I'll get to the end and I'll be like, okay, and ju- just to be clear, what's the street address though? Like what's it say on the, on, the, on the mailbox? And they tell me the address and I go, oh, okay, thanks. Knowing full well that I'm going to type that into my phone and let Google tell me where to go. And where to turn. So if somebody directs me like Lewis and Clark, uh, I, I, I'm patient with them until I get to the end. And then I just figure out what the address is for Google's sake. But here in the book of James, he makes the point that no matter what generation you're from, there are no two ways to receive direction. There are no two ways about it. Uh, there is one way that we ought to give ourselves to. You see here in the book of James, we see God creates us by the word of truth to receive the word of truth. And because that is how it is here in the book, um, we look at how we are to receive this word. And here's why we need this. Because let's say that you are not from the Lewis and Clark generation. That you're from the GPS generation. If that's you, there's this thing when you get to the end of the trip. It says you arrived one minute faster than expected. Because there's a problem with those of us in the GPS generation is that we don't trust the GPS and we think we know better. Um, in which that we try to beat the ETA, right? Is that you? Are you like Dale Earnhardt to where my arrival time, I am going to beat it. 
and I know things that the GPS might not be considering, so therefore I'm going to be making some turns that she is not expecting. Hence, when God creates us by the word of truth, to receive the word of truth, that doesn't mean that we're postured rightly to receive the direction, even though there's no two ways about it. So what we see here is two ways of three that we're going to get to next week in which that we ought to receive the word. Receive the word. So there's a shift here in the book of James in which the half-brother of Jesus has written to these Christians who are dispersed outside of Jerusalem. He's told them that they should count all of their trials joy because of their faith and that God is not one who leads you into sin, who gives you bad things. No, he is a good father who gives you good gifts. And what is the best gift that God, who is a father, gives to his people? The gift is the new birth that he has brought us forth by his word. That's the best gift that God gives, is us being brought forth by his word. So James focuses on how we ought to respond to the word of God in our trials. How to respond to God in our temptation. And now he shows us how to respond to the word. And so that's what he's talking about here in the passage. But this might be foreign to many of us. Because we're familiar with this passage in James 1.19. You look at it. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We're familiar with these things. And what context do we normally associate these exhortations with? If somebody's struggling in their marriage, we take this verse and go, listen, here's your problem. You need to listen. You need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry in your marriage. That is what you're supposed to do. If someone is struggling with their boss at work, we go, hey, let me tell you, you need to be real quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's what you should do. Now, all of that, very biblical, very good advice. Very good advice. But is that what James is doing here in this passage? Is that what he's doing? Let's, let's drive through it together, right? Verse 18. Since you were created by, brought forth by the word of God. That's the direction he goes. That's verse 18. And then in verse 19... There's a squirrel. So he takes a steering wheel, he yanks it in, into another direction and goes, you guys should be really a lot better listeners than you are. Y'all ought to be better listeners. Don't talk so much. Don't become angry. Back onto the road again. Receive the implanted word. Receive the implanted word. It's able to save your souls. Is that what's happening here? Is that what James is doing? Does he, does he yank the steering wheel over into a different topic 
Tell us how to be a better listener in verses 19 through 20. And then take us back to verse 21 to talk about receiving the implanted word. All the while, if you're like me, you're in the back seat, cranking that thing down, trying not to get sick because of all of these turns. We're all car sick with our Bibles open here. Is that what's happening? No, I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think that's what's happening at all. He's talking about how we're born again by the word. And then he talks about our response to that very word. So when he says you're quick to listen, that's not general advice. That's how you ought to respond to that word that you were born by. That's what he's saying here. You need to pay close attention to how you receive God's word. Because he's not yanking us into some kind of proverb of general advice and then going right back to specifics about how we handle the word. No, he's talking about the word and he never stops talking about the word in this passage. So when he says you ought to be quick to hear, he's talking about the word. When you're talking about slow to speak, he's talking about the word. Slow to become angry, he's talking about the word. That's what he's doing. Because we are born by God's word, we must first receive the word reverently. That's what he's getting at with these pile of phrases here in the text. In context, he's telling us to be rapid in our pursuit of receiving or hearing the word. Right? This isn't talking about general listening. This is, so what's, so if I, because normally, right, we're like, be, be quick to hear. Hear what? What's the subject? What's the subject of the information? The subject of the information is the word of God. Be quick to hear the word of God. I hope you see that when we walk through that context, that 19 is talking about the word of God, 20 is talking about the word of God, and 21 is talking about the word of God. So it's not difficult when we use the context to figure out what he's talking about. Because we've been born of the truth, our allegiance is to quickly give our attention to that truth. But since we're probably not likely, we've never thought about this verse in context, right? We've always pulled it out of the context and used it for whatever situation we're talking about. The context James is talking about is the word. So how are you quick to hear the word? How are you quick to hear the word? Well, he helps you out with that. Uh, you can't be speaking the word and hearing the word at the same time. That's not likely to go well for you. And what's even worse, if there's anger involved, angry people are the, the worst listeners in the entire world. Angry people are bad listeners. Talking people are bad listeners. If we're always speaking, if we're angry, we're going to have a difficult time hearing. Calvin notes, the apostle requires us to be silent, to be slow to speak and doubtless. No one can be a true disciple of God except he hears him in silence. It's never needless to say, it's always helpful to say, that for the person who's born of the word of God, the word of God ought to be our priority. 
ought to be our priority and is primary for us. And we ought to be eager in listening to what we have before us that is the word of God. Now to point out this, uh, the obvious, hearing is done individually. Hearing is done by individuals here. You ought to be fast to hear it, give priority and aggression and, and action to hear it. You ought to be active listeners to it. Benita helps us in, in that right here in this, right? Because there's, there's space and there's blanks to help us be active listeners. Active listeners. Now, I'm the kind of guy that if I'm talking and there's a mirror in the room, I make eye contact with the mirror. It's a weird thing that I do. My wife thinks it's weird anyway. Because I'm actively trying to pay attention to the person who is in front of me. Even if it's my own reflection, what a weirdo. Coming up here, why did I ever tell you that? Don't tell anybody I said that. Why? Because I realize that, that listening takes activity. It's, it's, an, it's activity for us. Be quick to it. Get on it. Why? So here's what that means. When someone speaks from the word of God, so far as they accurately tell you the word of God, you ought to be actively making it quickly happen. You got to be in it to win it. If you're not in it to win it here in James chapter one, you will, if you're not in it to win it, you will get nothing out of, of it. Like you would if you were in it to win it. The people of God, because they're born of that word, are implanted in them a hunger for the word of God. So that's why he's like, be quick to hear it. Get on it. That's what he does. Now, we should receive more of it than we speak. We should receive more of the word of God than we speak. Every sermon or every teacher should have more of the word in them than they put out of their mouth. Every preacher ought to study more of the word than he speaks. That's what we should do. Listening more than we talk is good advice in any arena. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 29.20, Do you see who a man is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So it's true that the fastest to speak is the quickest to sin in many cases. But here he's not speaking in generalities, but specifics. We are specifically... Swift to hear the word of God. That means we ought to give it our priority and our focus and our attention. That's what we ought to do. So that's how we reverence the word of God as we aggressively, actively focus and give our attention to it and we take it in quickly and often. Then, 
He says we ought to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. So, quick to hear the word. We're intaking it in our homes with the Bible open at a set time, in a set scripture, in a set day. And we do that over and over and over again. And we come here and we listen to the word and receive the word in groups, in things like Sunday school and classes. And then we come here in lar the large setting and the word is preached. And we take it in and we get, take all we can get of the word. And yet, we should be slow to speak the word. How so? Well, James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that he who teaches will be judged with greater strictness. And why does James say that? He goes on in that chapter because how easy it is for us to sin with our mouths. That's why we should be careful about being teachers and speaking. Because when we talk a lot, we're prone to sin a lot. That's specifically one reason why that not many of us should be teachers, because there'll be a judgment upon our words. It doesn't say never speak. It just should be slow to it. So we should be careful about who teaches, who we let teach, how the word is spoken, how the word is used, how the word is handled. Specifically, uh, I'll give you one example at least. He opened the book telling us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So somebody comes up to you and he says, ah, My heart is broken. Because, and then they start to tell you what they're going through. You give them about four words in, you cut them off, and you say, Count it all joy, my brother. When you're facing that trial and you're like, I know, but I, I was just wondering. And you're like, because you know that the testing of your faith develops steadfastness. I, I, but so I went to the funeral home the other night and, and, and you know, let, let, let steadfastness have its full effect in you. We got to be careful about speaking the word like that. When someone comes in mourning, we ought to be able to mourn with those who mourn. Mourn with those who mourn. And not arrogantly quote Bible verses to people who are trying to cry on our shoulder. So what would we do then? Let them cry. Listen, and then pick a minute, pick a spot, and use the scripture to help do whatever needs to be done, because it's primary. So we, we use it to convict where conviction is, is needed. We use it to encourage where encouragement is needed. We use it to soothe where soothing is needed to give hope where hope is needed. We use it for all of those things. But we don't really know if we're applying God's word in their situation if we can't take a minute and figure out what their situation is.
So we should be slow to speak. Slow to speak. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we listen before we talk. That's what, that's going to help me. It'll help us. You see, we are brought forth by the word to receive the word. And there needs to be more intake than there is output. According to that, more receiving than there is giving. So if this is true, that James is taking us along a path between verses 18 to 20, and it's all about the word, and he's wanting us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, the word. What's this slow to anger business? What's that? Well, when we are receiving the word, we are tempted to argue when that word says that we are wrong. When we are wrong, right? Because the scriptures are not a voice in our head. They weren't created by the voice in someone's head. They weren't. So what happens is when the scripture is brought forth, there is a large possibility that it's going to be different than what we're doing, different than what we're acting, different than what we're feeling even. Because it comes from God and not us. So there is conviction and the potential for anger when we receive the word. And that word says something about us that we don't like. There's a potential for anger. There's a potential for offense. But he's saying be really, really slow to that. Because there's something that happens to us when we are angry that we are not a good listener. And when it comes to the word of God, we can't infuse our intense emotions into arguing with the scriptures. And here's the biggest problem with that in verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he says, uh, the anger that we have, we, because we get angry at the wrong things and we get angry in the wrong way, it's always often misdirected, it doesn't reflect the character of God. It doesn't do that. Our anger doesn't do that. So that's why we should be really careful with our anger because it ruins things. It ruins things. For example, one of my pet peeves is that many of us spend way too much time on our phones. And we look down and we, we can't function in society because we're trying to function in the digital world. So we can't actually function in the real world. This one. So it was about soon to be nine years ago when I thought I was headed to Texas Roadhouse. And my wife was in the passenger seat and she was on her phone. And she couldn't barely hold a conversation even in that moment. So we were headed, it was January 26th-ish. And we were headed to Texas Roadhouse initially, but somehow we couldn't get in. 
they, they couldn't let us in. So I was fuming with anger because she was on her phone so much. And I thought that was probably the worst gift to give anybody on their birthday. The very fact that they were being ignored from the passenger seat on their birthday. How rude was that? And I was extremely angry right up until we got to the Mexican restaurant and the 50 people inside yelled surprise. Because what was she doing in the passenger seat but coordinating the travels of 50 people for a surprise birthday party? That was ruined by guess what? Anger. Anger. It was not my finest moment in this life. It was not my finest moment. And if we want to be honest, our anger usually never is. Like it, that, that's not what you want to be known for, right? That's, that is not what, what you want to go first on the highlight video of your life when you are angry. Because I felt like I, and was, the biggest fool you know. Because I was wrong about what was happening. And very, stirred very quickly to anger. Doesn't that sound like every time there is this internal battle between us and the scriptures? That our first response to, to God's word that contradicts us and calls us to repentance, that our first response to that is anger. And let me give you a worst case scenario. You argue out loud with someone about those scriptures. Until you realize that you're wrong. That you're wrong. Because we weren't slow to speak. Or we weren't quick to hear and slow to speak. But we were angry and quick to hear, or quick to speak and slow to listen. When it comes to these scriptures, we run into to things and we, we try to finesse them. For example, um, when the scriptures say, do everything without grumbling or complaining, we try to explain why it's okay in this moment for that to be the exception. Like here's, here's the, let me give you an exception for this. For this moment. Here's, here's why I get the mulligan in this moment. I know it says, do everything without grumbling or complaining that you might shine like, be children who shine like lights in a crooked and perverse generation. I, I got it. Or when Jesus tells his disciples, it's easier for, uh, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to make it into heaven. We, we try to finesse it and explain to ourselves that we just want enough to serve. We, we're not like serving money. We just always want it to be there. We don't want to run out. Um, we we want to have, we, we, we want to we be the camel going through the eye of the needle, right? We want to be the rich man in heaven. No, 
So uh, real quick, who wants to die poor? Okay, no, nobody, that's what I thought. Uh, and and, and that, is, that is our mentality, right? We don't want to die poor. But certainly Jesus goes, well, this, this, it, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than somebody with all of these resources to make it in to heaven. And we go, okay, well, uh, so I would still like to try. That's okay. <laughs> I'd still like to try. I'd like to be the one, right? I'd like to, I'd like to thread that needle. Also, the scriptures speak specifically how that we ought to care for the poor, take care of the poor. And as one commentator put it, we, we hear the scriptures and ask ourselves, how are we going to get around that? How, do, how are we going to get around that? Do you see that that's, that's, that that's what the anger does? The anger is that the scriptures say that and that I don't want to do that. But that's why he tells us how to receive the word, and we do so reverently. So we're quick to hear it, slow to speak it, and slow to become angry. And how do we receive the word reverently? How do we get to this point? Well, that's the second one that we see in verse 22, is that we do so by uh, receiving the word repentantly. Repentantly. Notice that we aren't automatically ready to be quick to listen. Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So what happens in verse 21 is it describes a change that, must be, that needs to be made in our posture of the word before us. There's something that needs to happen. Now, it was about 200 years ago where something happened that would change our lives going forth to this very day. In Hungary, there was a ward. I don't mean like my belly. I mean like the place. Hungary, there was a medical ward in which that they realized that people were dying in the part of the ward that was staffed by doctors when they were trying to give birth. But these midwives... We're delivering the babies and people weren't dying with the midwives. They were dying with the doctors. So something was happening in this ward in Hungary in which there was this mysterious illness known as child, child bed fever or perpetual fever. And nobody could figure, it out why, figure out why. So why were they dying with the doctors? And why weren't they dying with the midwives? Why is that the case? Well, there was a guy named Ignaz Simmelweis. Feel free to name your kids after him. And Simmelweis started digging. He, he scrutinized the, the climate. Why are the, the dying with the doctors? Like, so is it hotter in there, colder in there? Who's in there? What's going on in there? In this maternity ward... What were the doctors doing that the midwives weren't doing? That's what he's trying to figure out. And then one day, he had a fellow doctor who actually accidentally sliced himself with a scalpel. And he, he got the perpetual fever himself and died. Of course... He was using the, the scalpel in an autopsy, 
So Semmelweis realized do- these doctors who were giving birth, who were assisting in giving birth, uh, their schedule. He realized their schedule. What would they do? Well, they were dissecting cadavers and then going straight in to deliver a baby. And then they'd go back to the dead bodies and then they'd go in to deliver a baby. And Semmelweis realized that their hands were in death one moment and then they would try to give life in the next. And it just didn't work like that. That you can't just go from a dead body to a live body without carrying the death with you. So what did he figure out in that moment? That you needed to wash your hands before surgery. He figured it out. That you needed to wash your hands. James is saying the very same thing. One moment, you can't have your hands in death and then handle the word of life and expect to do so effectively. You can't have your hands in death one moment and then bring them into life in another one and and make it like it's going to go okay. So when you approach God's word, you have to be prepared. And how are you prepared? Verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Because you're born by the word. Now you're a Christian. So you live your life being swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because your anger doesn't reflect the righteousness character of God. But how does, you know what reflects the righteous character of God? Repentance. And putting away filthiness. One commentator notes James is using a metaphor about putting off dirty clothes here. That's what he's describing. He's saying, put away the filthiness. Look at verse 21. Is he saying, put away some filthiness? Is he saying, raise your standard of the filthiness that you'll participate in? Is that what he's saying? Now, for others, in some jobs, in some places, and people who are pastors and whatever, they, they need to put away all filthiness. But for me, I, I need to put away most filthiness. Is that what he's saying? He is saying, put away all filthiness. One pastor noted he's talking about anything that reduces your hunger for the word and clouds your understanding of it. Needs to be put away. Think about, these, think about the things. Search your heart. Search your schedule. Search your life for the things that keep you from being hungry for the word. And clouds your understanding of the word. This is you refusing to keep defiled, rotten, and unclean attitudes and actions in preparation for the receiving of God's word. So what might keep us from it, right? What, 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 what might be filthy? What might be the dirty clothes? Let's, let's, let's just use the stuff James is talking about here. Anger. Anger. Have you thought about repenting of your anger issues for reading the scriptures? Because you might read them in a way as to use them 
in an argument. Might that be a possibility? Our anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God, so we need to remove the filthy, misdirected, quick-to-pop-our-mouths-off attitudes and angry clothes that we're wearing. Now, you probably don't wear the same clothes every day, but if you don't spill something on it and you don't plan to see the same people, you might. The issue is that our attitude's probably not as clean as we want it to be. And God saw you, you, your attitude yesterday. Sees it today. Because of our misdirected anger, we need to be honest. The God sees it, and it's a friendly and loving reminder from the scriptures to change your clothes. Change your clothes. Get out of those filthy clothes. And look, he says there in verse 1, rampant wickedness. So where is rampant, rampant wickedness? Everywhere. Filthiness is talking about the rottenness that, that we have here and the wickedness that's rampant clearly is talking about a culture of, of wickedness that we participate in. So what happens when we read the scriptures is that we need to disconnect ourselves from the wickedness of the culture that we have around us in order to read the scriptures faithfully. So we get away from all of that. We repent of all of those things. And I'm not just telling you what clothes to take off. Here's, here's what we put on, the second half of verse 21. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So what is, what is this meekness? This meekness is the humility that we ought to have in handling the word. Somebody said that this meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by one's sense of self-importance. This allows us not to be angry with the scriptures that contradict us and our lifestyles. We, because we don't come to the scriptures to be affirmed in our echo chamber. We come to the scriptures that are outside us to change things that are inside us. We don't argue with the word. We come with humility to honor the word. We don't come with the scriptures to try to make them fit how we're living. We come to the scriptures to try to fit how we're living in to what, how God says we ought to be living in the scriptures. As it's been said, as Christians, we need to separate ourselves from the world and saturate ourselves with the word. That's what we should do. The writer of Hebrews describes uh, this implanted word. He says, receive the implanted word. Well, what does Hebrews say? He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and write them on their minds. So there is a sense in which that if you are a Christian, in your DNA, your newborn DNA, your reborn DNA, let's call it that, that the word is in there. He's made us born again by the word of the truth, and this new birth of ours, we have the word of God planted inside us. So we receive the word that God's already planted and it blooms as we appro as approach the word appropriately. How do we do that? Reverently. We revere the word. And we do so repentantly. 
Why? Because this, this word is able to save our souls. And it's not talking about like in, in the past moment. This is talking about the result, the final day. This word is what takes us home. The final day. This is the posture before the scriptures. That we are a new creation. The old has passed away. There's wickedness and rampantness and filthiness all around us. And we need to put it all away and approach the scriptures humbly. Because they tell us of a final salvation that is brought by God through his word. If you're not a Christian, what we're talking about the last couple weeks could be described in a conversation between Jesus and a guy in John chapter 3. He was really educated and he came to him at night. And several of you all know the story. But what he does is he, he comes to Jesus and he says, I've seen the works that you've done. And, and because of that, you have to be in another category than all of us. You have to be from heaven. And Jesus, because he's Jesus, stops him right there. And says, truly, truly, you must be born again. Born again. You have to be born all over again to be part of my kingdom. And Nicodemus, was his name, was blown away. How could you be so far along in your life with all of this time and be able to get a fresh start and to go all over again. How does that even work? And Jesus responded, there's a physical birth, and then there's a new birth done but completely by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God's kind of like the wind. You don't see Him, but you see His effects. And what is His effects? The new birth. That's what it is. So how does somebody get born again? How do you get in line for that? Well, that's not really how it works. But what does Jesus tell Nicodemus? He tells him, uh, uh, he references Numbers 21, in which that the people were grumbling against God, and they were grumbling against Moses. So God told Moses, make a fiery snake out of uh, bronze and hold it up. Because what God did was he sent fiery snakes to bite and kill the people. And in the middle of all this death, they cry out to God. He makes, Moses makes the serpent and he holds it up. And, and he says that anyone who turns away from that death and looks upon the serpent, that God will save them. And you see, that's kind of like what Jesus has done for us in the midst of all this death, because we have sinned and separated ourselves from God by our sin, there is death all around us, and for the wages of sin is death. That the Lord Jesus was hung up on a, on a cross. He died on the cross for our sin. And if we turn our eyes away from all this that's going on, and we turn our eyes away from all of this death and all of this rebellion and filthiness and rampant wickedness, if we turn our eyes away from it and we turn our eyes to the Lord Jesus, then He will save us. He will save us. That is what we need. If you're not a Christian, turn your eyes 
from your own rebellion against God and place them on the Lord Jesus, who is the one who was lifted up to save us from everything we've done against God, forgive us of our sin, and give us new life with him. That is what he offers If you have been born again, you have a word implanted in you. So notice what he says here. He gives all of these commands. If you are a Christian, he gives all these commands to people who have the word already implanted in them. To be quick to hear. What does that mean? It shows us that if you have that word, he's made you new and that word is in there, that it needs to bloom by you doing these things that he tells you to do. So that's why you ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And humbly receive the word. Because most of the time, we argue, we push it aside, we're apathetic towards it. That, my friends, is not meekness. That is not meekness. So this is a moment for us to repent of our posture towards the Scriptures from filthiness, from things, rampant wickedness, and to meekness and humility. So let's pray together that the Lord would give this to us and do this to us, do this for us, to help us be a good listener to Him through His Scriptures. We're going to give you a time to respond. Uh, Pastor Jonathan and I will be up here. You can talk to us now or afterwards. It doesn't matter, but we will uh, talk to you, particularly if you're not a Christian. We want to talk to you about these things and help you think through uh, looking upon the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I pray that you would change us to where we are swift to receive your scriptures. And then, and then we handle them in such a way as just we're slow to talk about things that we don't, might not know all about. And then we're slow to become angry about things that we are probably wrong about. So I pray that you would save us, that change us, transform us, encourage us. I pray that you would cause the implanted word to blossom because of this obedience. Please do this in Jesus' name. Amen.